Cutting for Sign with Ron Cecil and Daniel Pinterkline. The bad white men call him the devil. The Yavapai call him eyes like the sky. And writer who supports LGBTQ plus people and groups, black, indigenous people of color, and women artists, creatives, and journalists. Being raised Christian, you believe that the Bible was inspired and invaluable. You earned a degree in biblical studies and received your master's in New Testament studies. However, a gradual, painful, and radical changes in your beliefs began, and you lost a sense of purpose and destiny. Despite this, you served as a pastor for 30 years. During this time, the structure of your faith continued to crumble. You asked yourself if you could believe in a compassionate God when billions of people were excluded from this love. In 2010, you left the church to pursue art. You created Naked Pastor, a platform that uses words and images to create conversations, push boundaries, challenge the status quo, and deconstruct dogma. Your art acts as a catalyst for critical thinking, questions the confines of religion, and expresses the struggles of spiritual refugees and independent thinkers. You believe everybody deserves to express doubts and explore their spirituality, that language seems to divide us, and that we are all deeply connected. Welcome, Naked Pastor David Howard. Hayward. Hayward, that's right. Thank you. <laughs> Glad to be here. And uh, hi, everybody. Yeah. Hi. Well, I've been a big fan of Naked Pastor for a long time. And and even cool. before I think I even knew the word deconstruction, hmm. and that's a, a hot topic in the spiritual world. And, I, and I'd even say outside of the spiritual world, because we're starting to let go of a lot of norms, gender right. norms, sexual orientation norms, mm-hmm. all kinds of things. I think we're even getting into probably some socioeconomic norms in the future. Uh, with class systems and things like that. Uh, none of those I'm an expert about, but I'm just noticing that it's happening. Right. I'm not sure if you know this, but one thing you and I have in common is that we both have uh, New Testament degrees. I have oh. a bachelor's degree, you have a master's. And I was laughing this morning because as we're staying in Costa Rica, mm-hmm. uh, we're kind of inundated with all kinds of bugs. And uh, we've been battling this bug system. And the thing that I got right after my uh, New Testament degree was a certification in pest control. That's how handy (laughs) my my bachelor's degree New Testament was. (laughs) Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. So I know for a lot of people who have a formal education in theology, I think the cracks in, in a spiritual journey often happen in formal training. Did you find that to be true as well? Um, well, I went into, uh, I, I went to a, a, a Bible college. That's where I met my wife, Lisa. It was Pentecostal. And then from there, I went to an evangelical seminary, Gordon Conwell near Boston and, um, some degree and all the way through there, uh, I was pretty on board, you know, with the standard Orthodox view of scripture, you know, the three eyes, infallible, inspired, inerrant. And, um, that was never really um question until like the day of my graduation i was reading a book and i i always bring this up because this is when my instruction started mm. i i read a book that wasn't even on any of the syllabi 
Mm. And um, for some reason, I bought it. I think it was in Harvard Coop and saw it on a bookshelf and bought it. And it was called The Silence of Jesus by James Breach. And I read it. And basically, he he claims that out of all the stories and the sayings of Jesus, there might be seven authentic uh, mm. sayings uh, of Jesus. And then he sort of takes a Nietzschean uh, sort of uh, hermeneutic and, uh, and applies it to these seven sayings. By the end of the book, I was devastated. <laughs> I was absolutely devastated because for me, um, I compare it to the Jenga block tower. The the thing, the one block that held my all my theology together was scripture. That's where it all came from. And then this one book, I, I remember getting ready for graduation. I actually had my robe on and I, I was freaking out. And Lisa was like grabbing me saying, you've got to get ready for graduation. It was, it was exactly like that. And um, because here I was graduating with a Bible degree and, you know, it was all, it was all just starting to crumble. And then, um, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Did go it ahead. feel like you were kind of in slow motion as you're, as you're getting your diploma and all that stuff? I mean, I, w- I would feel personally like that would have been a, a, an insane divide within me. Well, I guess, uh, like many of us, we have uh, some skills uh, that we might call um, denial or ignore or, you know, put it away or bury it or um, cognitive dissonance or whatever you might want to call it. But that that's what it was kind of like a germ uh, virus entered into my code uh, and just slowly uh, corrupted my code over the years it's like a slow glacial melt until so that that was uh in 1983 when i graduated and i didn't leave the ministry finally until 2010 so it was a long process my my deconstruction and um but that's where it began for sure wow yeah Yeah, i was thinking about some Go ahead, Daniel. Go for it. Uh, one thing that Ronald and I have been talking more about is uh, the concept of deconstruction, uh, the uh-huh. experience and the process of it mm-hmm. applied to uh, people in general, not just someone who's breaking down Christian um, inner constructs. And I was just wondering if you could speak to that. Is that something that you feel? Because I'm pretty new to um, con- uh, articulating it uh, like right. that and connecting it to Christianity. Is that something that you feel like can be a process that can be done with other people? And if so, like how, or is that problematic? No, absolutely. Uh, but like, I agree. I, I, I don't think the problem is that um, there's some germ in the air. I'm talking about German viruses a lot these days, right in the middle of COVID, but I don't mean it that way. But there's something in the, it's not like something's in the air and everybody's sort of questioning their beliefs or like some people might believe that Satan's on the loose and doing a great job of making everybody doubt and all that kind of thing. I do think there's a general um, rise of uh, being suspicious of authority and systems and required uh, rules for thought and orthodoxy and um, tradition. I, I I do think, and that's we can see that in all 
spheres, not just religion. We're seeing it in politics and education and, uh, you know, marriage, family. Uh, definitions are, are right across the board uh, being rewritten, really. And, and so deconstruction, I think, is a thing that is happening across the board, um, but also that, including religion, for sure. Yeah. That, that's beautiful. I didn't, I have made the connection to a societal deconstruction. I mean, I've heard people talking um, in uh, some of the uh, gender and sexuality um, uh, cultures or circles or topics or communities uh, about, you know, a, like a colonial deconstruction. Um, right. And I hadn't quite connected that to Christian deconstruction and to just the, my own personal process of, you know, deconstructing the um, inner uh, structures that I w was, uh, that, that were set into place in my childhood, which have nothing to do with a religion, at least through my family. Um, right. But that's, that's awesome to see. It also kind of takes the piss a little bit out of, or the negativity out of some of the, um, uh, uh, conspiracy theory stuff that's really hot right now. It, it almost shines that in a little bit more of a light of like, hey, these are people that maybe it's a misguided um, version of deconstruction. Well, it's funny you talk about that because uh, I know I know people who are entertain conspiracy theory ideas or are curious about them, or and some who are you know, really into them. And that, I think that's just a, a sign of, of what is happening right now, yeah. where um, there's, you know, it's like, uh, I'll just go out on a limb right here. I'm Canadian, by the way, I'm in Canada, so I'm not in the epicenter of what's happening right now in, in, in the USA, but I have family there and friends. But, um, you know, what is CNN's uh, slogan, um, your trusted source. No, I wouldn't even know. I, I, I think I think yeah. it is. But you know what? It lost my. I was watching CNN, yeah. but on November tenth, two thousand and sixteen, it lost my trust. And um, and and I. That's when I disconnected cable and you know everything. And then you're thrown into this sort of no man's land of where's your source of truth now? I mean, yeah. people. People are really wondering what what is the source source of truth uh, of truth. Even uh, you know, Snopes is that really accurate? Are they really telling the truth? You know, so it's yeah, absolutely. Um, that's that's another good um, example. Uh, is you know what what is true and what's the source of truth and who can we trust? And 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 it's it's like I was talking with somebody yesterday. It really comes down to me and you. And you uh, taking control and taking authority over your own life and trying to decide and discern what is what is really true and doing your own research rather than just, you know, trusting CNN or trusting Fox or whatever, you know. And so also, also yeah. I think a key part of this is recognizing what our real freedom is attached to and dependent on, you know. Like yeah. my personal freedom, you know, isn't isn't connected to whether or not I wear a mask. So it finds I find it very easy to like follow societal what we're doing. And I don't feel like a sheep and I don't feel like um, mm -hmm. I just feel like I'm being part of something bigger than myself. And if I'm not saying they are, if that thing was off base, it's still not it's not like 
my freedom isn't dependent on whether or not I like do something like that. My freedom is very much an inner freedom. And uh, I, right. I, I think that that's important. I don't know if you feel the same way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm the same uh, to me wearing a mask and we here in Canada and New Brunswick, um, you know, we're we're doing pretty well, although we have a few cases um, every day these days, which is concerning. Um, wearing a mask for me is, is no big deal. And um, so for me, when it, when it gets to things like religion, when we're the, the problem is for a lot of people, and this is where, why I left the ministry actually in 2010 was because I always gravitated towards churches where I felt free, even as a pastor to grow, but I discovered the limits of the container where I was in, where I no longer felt free to grow. And I had a choice to make. Either I had to rein myself in and stay or act out my freedom and leave and figure out how to live my life outside of that container. And, and what I chose was, was to leave. Did you, was that a public um, journey for you? Did you state why you were doing that or did you kind of quietly dismiss yourself? No, it was it was public. Um, uh, something I might clear up. Uh, the introduction was really great. Thank you, by the way. Really good, really accurate. Um, but I want to make something clear. I started Naked Pastor back in 2005, so I'd already been blogging for five years. Um, and so my my cartoons and my writing were already out there, and that did help contribute to my departure. And because I, that's the whole point of Naked Pastor is the naked stands for me being vulnerable and open and honest and real and raw um, without adornment. And um, so I, I wanted people to see behind the curtain of what it was really like to be a pastor, not with, you know, the successes and the joys and the happy things and the growth and all that, but the struggles and the financial hardships and the conflict and the doubt and um, the questions and, and all that kind of thing. And so I was kind of out there already um, in 2005. And then, you know, it, 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 my blog started growing. Oh no. And my pop cartoons started getting more popular. Oh no. And um, people started, you know, getting concerned <laughs> for me. And, um, and got to the point where I knew my time's up. I can just feel it. And, uh, and you know, a, a year after I felt that feeling, I, I, I left. Mm-hmm. David, have you, have you experienced um, in putting your opinions and your experience out on topics that are so uh, flammable right now? Have you experienced any threat to yourself or any stress around being naked in front of uh, people who can potentially uh, be threatening to you? Yeah. Every day, man. Every day. Wow. Yeah. No, I get I get um, hate mail and messages and nasty things every day, but I don't get scared every day. So once in a while, though, maybe once a week or two, um, somebody will come along who sounds really scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm thankful I live in a very remote part of the world 
And, um, you know, so I, I feel, I feel pretty safe. Um, and we have gun control here <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, stuff like that. So I, I, yeah. I feel safe, but yeah, being raw and real and vulnerable naked like that, uh, in public does, you do pay a price, but, um, I, I couldn't think of another way to, to do what I do. And, uh, I wanted to take that risk, uh, because I feel that if I'm open with my struggles mm-hmm. and honest, it validates others' struggles and um, somehow gives them permission to yeah. to live openly as well. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep doing what I do till I can. I think it's kind of ironic that the the deconstruction. Uh, movement, if we can call it that, is is really a movement led by vulnerability, led by telling the truth of of what we're experiencing, and and yet what we find is exactly what you described at the beginning of that for you on graduation day the di- the the dissonance the the uh, right. the split mind the really kind of lying to ourselves and lying to those around us on some level, and mm-hmm. I and I was in that world too, although I could never I could never step into full-time ministry because of all those things. I I just couldn't sink my teeth into it because it felt like something um, would fall apart really quickly for me. Right. Um, right. Uh, then I, I stepped away from all that after a divorce from my Christian brainwashing camp sweetheart and um came back into church after I married Morgan in 2010 and mm. um, really kind of like tiptoed through that experience, really questioning a lot, feeling a lot of like uh, a dis-ease around it. And then we became lay pastors uh, when we moved to Portland, Oregon mm-hmm. and were well known in a young church uh, that is a prominent in the city. And, uh, and, and, and I, ha- I, I have to really like, shout out Morgan for never needing to deconstruct because she never constructed, I mean, using quotation marks for those who can't see me, all of the, all of the paradoxes that we're, we are required to ignore to be a a person of faith in the, especially the evangelical or charismatic or Pentecostal world. She just Mm -hmm. didn't pick pack, you know, didn't construct those things. Mm-hmm. It never occurred to her that um, being homosexual was anything but completely okay and right and wonderful. It never occurred to her that that was not the case. Uh, yeah. it, it never occurred to her that um, there would be a, a true place where people would go and die eternally in punishment and suffering for all time. Like that never occurred to her. Like she, she would hear it in church and be like, you know, like that's obviously a metaphor for something. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. and she's, co- you know, kind of coaxing me along, um, not to mm-hmm. say don't believe that, but to live fully with what I really believe. Mm-hmm. And those echoes had been happening to me. I went to Oral Roberts University. Huh? And I'm not sure if you were familiar with Carlton Pearson, who was um, a, a, a mega evangelical pastor uh, in the 80s and 90s and was on the board of Oral Roberts University. NPR uh, did a story about him as National Public Radio uh, with, Mm -hmm. um, did you listen to that? 
that that story no. oh i'll send it to you um i mean he's probably in, as far as i'm concerned he did this in like 2000 he had a moment uh like we read in your biography where he just thought if god is real and god is love then what the hell is all this about what is hell really right. about and right. it and he stepped down from it he stepped down from being on the board of oru there was like a big there was a big hubbub about it i was in the middle oh, yeah. of getting my degree and what was really the thing that kind of provided a lot of safety for me and what he was doing were some of my theology professors, including especially my New Testament, uh, or my, I'm sorry, my Greek professor, right. who is like, he's not far, guys. <laughs> you know, and my, my Greek professor is kind of helping us unlearn the things we're, we're being taught from the pulpit. And, right. and that's when I was really kind of like, okay, this is not all as it seems. And, but the thing that really sealed the deal for, for myself in particular was uh, listening to um, uh, Richard Rohr talk to Rob Bell uh, mm-hmm. several years ago, it's probably five, six years ago, and, and talk about um, really how we live versus what we're taught to live. Right. And, um, and after we did that, after I listened to that and was really kind of feeling the safety of like letting go of the dogma, mm-hmm. uh, we tried to go back to church one last time. We snuck in. We're sitting in the very back row of, of to Portland, a mega church for the for the urban core of Portland. And right. and our pastor, God bless him, from the pulpit goes, I had a nightmare last night that Ron and Morgan kidnapped me and took me to a foreign country. And it was terrifying. I was so afraid of them. And as he's talking about that, my my phone's buzzing and like people are like texting me, like, what's happening? Like, why is your why is your pastor shitting on you from the pulpit? I'm like, I don't know, man. But that was like kind of our signal from the universe that's like, uh, this is our sign to like really step out of this. And no, you think? Yeah. <laughs> and 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 a big part of that was like we were we were saying things publicly in our, in our business, you know, our businesses essentially, you know, helping people become fully alive, uh, helping them understand that their heart is good. And we, and even that statement that your heart is good is in uh, opposition to what we learned through scripture, which is your heart is beyond good or or is is incapable of good. Um, The idea of original sin is, is really where we began to like, throw this shit out and, right. and and say actually by and large humanity is wanting to do the right thing most mm. people want to do the right thing and respect and love one another and yet you know the headline today as i as i was checking the the headlines on bbc that's kind of where i go for my news and even that i'm noticing is getting a little bit like wonky yeah One top 10 uh headlines was um a contestant of a beauty pageant, like at the like world level, ripped the crown off of the newest uh, person because she was divorced. And the 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 contestant said, um, "We don't allow divorced people to win this pageant." And I thought that's worse than <laughs> that's worse than like the Catholic Church or something, right? Like <laughs> this is some real shit happening on a crazy level. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that dogma, I mean, that deconstruction or is, is like, is necessary because even places like 
where, you know, we'll, we'll pick on the beauty pageant world a moment, even places where you're judged solely by your looks and by yeah. speech and like, you know, what do you think can be done on world peace is like still yeah. very old ideology. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So tell us a little bit about your art. I, I was looking at a piece yet last night um, that looked and I'm going to mess this word up because I don't know anything about um, like ice ages, but it looked like an ice age animal, like a, some kind of like musk ox or something with a beautiful woman standing in front of it, holding a, a spear. I believe. <clears throat> if my yeah. Mind. Yeah. Yeah. And you said it was one of your favorites and tell me about yeah. that. So that's um, one of my Sophia drawings. I, I have 62 Sophia drawings. And that one's called Resilience. Um, it was after I left the ministry. It was about a, a year later. And I'd already been an artist. I was painting and cartooning and everything. But one Sunday afternoon, I just sat down with a pen and pencil and paper and started drawing. And when I was finished, I had a picture of a, um, a girl holding a teddy bear up to a huge grizzly bear that's standing on its haunches, towering over her. She's just there offering the bear her teddy bear. And I called that fearless. And like, my wife, Lisa's like, what's that? Like, cause I'd never drawn anything like that before. Mm. And I said, I don't know. I just felt like drawing it. And, and that started a chain of events where, Every couple of weeks, I would produce another one. They take hours because there's a lot of detail. And um, I wrote meditations for each one. I was about 10 drawings in, and I was drawing a picture of uh, her standing before the mouth of a cave. Mm. And I realized I got really emotional when I realized, oh, my goodness, I'm drawing my story. This is my story of my liberation from the church and ministry and religion and theology and all that stuff that I served for so many years slavishly. And um, it was, it was a powerful experience. And then from, from then on, it took about two years of, of drawing uh, these Sophia images of it. It's a story of a woman's emancipation, her own mm. liberation. I, I put it all in a book called the liberation of Sophia. Mm-hmm. it's on amazon but it's a bunch of pictures and meditations and it's basically my journey uh, my carl jung would call it my anima you might want to call it my soul or my spirit but that's mm-hmm. who sophia represents sophia being greek for wisdom yeah. and how my own wisdom came came to fruition you know sort of found its liberation in my walking away from uh you know, my kind of Egypt, you know, to, to my own promised land. So yeah. it was, yeah, that's, so that's a part of that series. Can you actually, um, David, can you talk a little bit more? Uh, you just hit on a theme that's very important to me and, and uh, Ronald has entertained it quite a bit here. And to some extent, I know it's part of his life. Uh, and that's the anima or inner opposite sex part of ourselves. Um, can you speak a little bit to that, how that um, manifests in your life or what, what it looks yeah. like if you struggle with creating that or you know what I mean? I'm just loving the sound of the birds, loving the sound <laughs> of the birds, boy. Well, I'm in Canada, so it's still kind of wintry here. So 
Um, yeah, what, back when uh, I started in ministry, I was in the Presbyterian Church, and um, I decided to go and get my clinical pastoral education degree uh, course in the hospital. I lived there for six months. It was very intense. And during that time, I became acquainted with Carl Jung. I had some very powerful dreams that mm. sort of forced me to find a way to understand them. And Carl Jung, of course, came up. And, um, you know, he talks a lot about the anima and the animus. Um, so for the, the man, typically now this all might be, you know, uh, re- uh, analyzed because it's pretty binary, but um, for yeah. the man, generally yeah. speaking, yeah. it's anima, and for the woman, it's the animus. It's the uh, you know when you have a dream about a beautiful woman or a witch or you know uh, 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 a female professor or a guide or whatever, um, that's your female aspect expressing itself. Mm through your through your dreams trying to come into your consciousness and and so i just paid attention to her and um wrote a lot about her had a lot of dreams about her and uh and it's funny though when um i left the ministry uh it was it was hard it was really really hard i i'd already deconstructed theologically but there's another kind of deconstruction and that's from the church and all that it offers and the ministry too it was a perfect storm for me to just be totally fucked up and um so i you know was drawing these pictures of this woman sometimes she's a young girl sometimes she's a young woman in the wild and it, it I, i'm surprised it took me that long to realize what was happening that mm. my own sophia my own inner wisdom represented by my anima or my female aspect was wanting to come into consciousness for me and and realize that me um, escaping from uh, ministry and the church and Christian orthodoxy and all that was really uh, me being able to express my, you know, anima, the feminine, the spiritual, the all that. So so it was a very profound revelation to me. Uh, and and so, you know, uh, when when I was in ministry, I had to be, you know, I had to measure up. I had to be tough. I had to be a leader. I had to be this or that or the other thing. And um, when I when I got a, when I escaped from all that, when I emancipated myself, um, then I felt I could be more fully me. All the aspects of my personality could could be expressed and, and be manifest in my life. And so, yeah, the, the liberation of Sophia is actually my own liberation of my whole self, you know. And you know, go ahead. I had, a, I had a discussion yesterday with an artist. His name is Ross Pino. Um, it was a little pre-conversation. We're going to have we're going to have a discussion with him on the podcast. And he, I, his, his story is worth uh, mentioning here uh, briefly because he he considers himself or he is Christian um, 
and has a good relationship. Uh, and he went through a deconstruction is kind of similar to Morgan, maybe uh, Ronald, where, you know, it was more of a reforming of, of what was there. Anyways, I don't want to get into religious um, terms that I don't really know how to use. Um, but he uh, was a model and an actor in LA and he noticed his ego was getting out of control. And so one day he just sits down with his daughter, and young daughter and starts drawing, right? And um, he found it, he thought it was just going to be something enjoyable. And then that led to doing it every day. And then he found himself drawing like skulls and things. And then she'd come up one day, she came up one day and drew little dresses and girls around these skulls. And at first he goes, I thought that this ruined my, my, my drawing, you know? But then as he looked at it, he really liked the, con the contrast. And long story short, that ended up being the main motif that has now become, he's become a successful artist and art is now his main thing. And sitting down and, and part of that being his relationship with his daughter and bringing in this like more feminine aspect of, of his work. That last part I just said is more my interpretation of it. Um, but I th thought that was a beautiful uh, thing to hear because it sounded like he was doing something similar, even in the context of Christianity. And mm -hmm. I personally think that people who go through that, especially men, especially people who are experiencing um, some pretty strong uh, religious um, ideologies that they don't agree with or find they don't agree with is one of the most important things uh, people are doing right now. And especially when they don't abandon their uh, their the religion or their constructs that they are totally taken down it's just kind of updated yes um, i think that's awesome that you did that and you have that language around it it's a huge value of mine too yeah yeah thank you yeah David, how was it connected embracing and integrating the feminine part of your life how was that connected to you being um uh, a voice and champion for the LGBTQ world. Like, how, are those connected at all, or is that giving you more of an empathy for the oh, yeah. journey of the other? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I know what it's like on a small scale to come out spiritually. I had mm. to come out. It was very scary, very frightening for me. Yeah. Because uh, I knew I was going to suffer rejection and I was going to put my job as a pastor in jeopardy and um you know my income and my family would suffer because of it and so on I, and so I know a little bit of what it's like to um uh restrain who I fully am for the sake of my own protection and um, be, belonging, you know, all that kind of thing. So that when I, when I did decide to take the risk and be more open and, you know, naked, you know, honest, vulnerable about who I am, and then did have to walk away. Um, I, I know a little bit now I know I have friends who've come out as transgender or, you know, as gay or, um, maybe polyamorous or, um, maybe married person who comes out as asexual. You know, there's all kinds of yeah. people I know personally who've come out, and it's much, much more difficult for them because there's it, it's more than just belief; it's identity, and um, 
and it, you know the, the the suffering that they undergo is massive. It's like a hundred times I think what I would have experienced. I I so admire my friends who've come out um, in those ways. But yeah, it helps me understand a little bit, um, but just a little bit. I don't claim to. I I would never say I know what you feel. I don't. Um, but I sure do admire their their courage. And I'm there for them because, um, you know, I just came to that point where I know we're all connected on a deep and fundamental level. And the diversity of the expressions of humanity to me is, is beautiful and necessary and healthy. And that's why I'm a, a friend to the LGBTQ plus community and people of color, et cetera, uh, all all that it's it's all just like a prism with you know boundless colors and 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 light and reflections and so on so that's what i that's what i do the core of my message is personal freedom and um i really do believe that each one of us has that right um to be personally free and to live that freedom out whatever that looks like of course unless it harms other people but that's that to me is the the core of what uh, i'm passionate about is personal freedom and and whatever that finds however that finds expression that's that's another story but for me it's the personal freedom that matters something that i think that is like and obviously uh, have experienced this personally and uh, um I'm not trying to add anything that you don't already know. I just really want to put a fine point on that personal freedom. Also, uh, being in a in a, in a life in their life where they feel safe, you know, and um, that sense of safety, a calm nervous system, and um, it allows space for creativity and for like the blossoms of being human. And I know just from a little bit of uh, well, a lot of experience with some intense anxiety uh, that I experienced in a couple key parts of my life and I'm very grateful not to be experiencing anymore. Um, that mm-hmm. Those states of mind, that flight or flight to, to not even a great degree, like even when you're just mildly, it really, your brain shuts down in creative ways. It's not a priority because you are trying to survive. And so gaining people right now who are gaining personal freedom, um, I, I just, I really am a proponent for them also feeling safe with the newfound freedom that they have. Mm. Can you speak Yeah, so, yeah. there is that. For me, if a, if a community, I talk a lot about spiritual independence, and basically I'm talking about independence, and uh, that we're the masters of our own destiny, the captains of our own ship kind of thing. We need to have the steering wheel of our own lives. and. Um, a lot of people react to that because they say we shouldn't be alone. You know, we, we, you know, we need to be in community. And I'm like, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm for all for community. Being independent doesn't mean being alone. There's dependency, which we hope we grow out of. Then there's independence, which we hope we grow into. Codependence, we want to avoid. Interdependence is a natural, healthy outcome of a healthy independence. So um, that's that's why I think personal independence is necessary. <clears throat> excuse me for a healthy community where we can um, be a, a volitional gathering of of 
free people. And if we can wrestle with the, that tension, how can I be free without violating your freedom? And how can you be free without violating mine? I think then we're on our way to a healthy, functional community, which I've experienced and which I love and try to create. And sorry, sorry, Ron. What's it been like for you to create that community uh, now? Is it is it is it online? Is it in person? Are I'm I'm I mean I'm looking at a person when I see you, David, as someone who's still it seems very much a pastor uh, in that you're encouraging people and that you are advocating for them uh, and that you are. Um, um, and I say encouragement, and I think sometimes we say that that word doesn't get enough power, and and you are bringing the power behind that word um, when you are uh, advocating for personal freedom, uh, spiritual freedom, and, and right. a person's hand on the steering wheel. Um, so, what does that look like for you as you're as you're either participating in or leading in community? Right. So I. When I was a pastor, uh, the last church I was at, I loved it. It was great. The community was great. We loved it. Um, I had a great leadership team. It was really awesome, democratic, functional, healthy community. Um, but it, it, I just got to the end where theologically we were no longer compatible. That's yeah. what it was called. But um, so I, I know it's possible. And, and, you know, Lisa and I tried to create that sense of community. Um, health with our own children with each other yeah um and then i do that online yeah that's what i do online uh i have different online communities on different social platforms and one of the most exciting ones for me is on instagram where it really has that feel of a safe as possible community and uh, it takes it's hard work. Uh, I, I believe the gravitational pull of systems and communities and relationships is towards unhealthy habits and harm. Um, that's the gravitational pull, and it takes hard, persistent work to prevent that from happening. Mm. And that's why a lot of people don't bother. That's why a lot of leaders don't bother. A lot of pastors don't bother because it's hard work to continually trust people to be their own masters and not to become their guru um, and to uh, trust them to drive their own life, you know? So uh, that's what I try to do um, on Instagram and wherever else I am and on my online community and, and things like that. And in any relationship mm. is to get out of the way, let them be who they are. Um, I'm here for you if you want support or help or advice even but i'm never going to um impose myself upon your life and try to direct you or correct you um you know this is how i think healthy community happens but it is hard work to do that yeah it is it's very hard work to um, yeah make one available and 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 continue to to build as you're going along so you know I know that we could sit here and continue to speak for a long, long time, and, and I'm conscious of of um, this kind of winding down. And I, I wanted to ask you, who is who is the person that you think of as you beyond yourself with your with Sophia, 
uh, series or something like that. But when you think of who is watching you or listening to you and, and what is it, and what is it that they need to hear to feel like, Mm -hmm. as Daniel said, safety. And as you have said, that personal freedom that to step into who they really are bravely. Yeah. I, I see um, fairly young people um, anywhere from teenager to like in their thirties and forties. I actually did a survey of who was, you know, actually statistics can show you. And it really is mostly older teens to people in their late thirties and early forties and mostly women. Um, And I find that really interesting because I'm talking about freedom all all the time. And so when I I keep talking about freedom and insisting that you're free and that you're not trapped and that you can take authority over your own life and be self-determining, autonomous, um, the master of your own destiny, the captain of your own ship, et cetera, Mm -hmm. uh, there's something... And, and then just encouraging people and they need other people who are like them. It's it's very validating. And you know what? Sometimes that's all it takes is yeah. somebody to come on my Instagram account, for example, and see one of my cartoons, maybe one of my posts, and the, what other people are saying. They're like, oh, my God, I thought I was crazy. I thought I was the only one. And here there's a whole bunch of us, and we're all okay. And and that's sometimes that's all it takes. Uh, And that to me is really, really exciting. And I was in a men's group yesterday. I was a bunch of people who I hadn't met. And uh, Ron runs a a really similar men's group that I also am part of. And uh, that was the main theme uh, that I found in yesterday's. And in general, is just, you have these, in this case, men who are, like one guy is a vet the other people they they look like fucking men you know like they they don't look like they look very masculine and everybody broke down crying at some point in time uh everyone was incredibly grateful uh, they all mentioned i mean all but several mentioned that they would not be this way around other people anybody and i was like floored and and, it, and they were what they were saying is I'm not alone, and it's the most helpful thing I'm pulling from this. Yeah, because we're we're kind of fed that um, you know I I know I talk a lot to people who are struggling with their beliefs and maybe their relationship with the church because they're 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 fed that um, misinformation that if you leave you're backsliding or you're you're yeah. making a mistake or you know you you're um, off you're going off the track or or you're making god angry or whatever and when they find out that none of that's true and that they're totally fine they're totally okay it's just an incredible relief it's and often like i said that's all it takes for them to assume control of their own lives and i think it's just awesome and i love participating in that one of the things that was coming to my mind and, and something I've have said in the past to folks that I speak with is, is, um, is re um, reestablishing the way we look at certain things. Like, Cause I speak to a lot of folks who've also come out of the church and, uh, and we have, we have, a, you know, the scripture confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. And, right. and we feel like that often means I've got to tell you all the bad shit that's gone on in my life. And, 
And the way I've re restated that is learn how to tell your story really well and learn how to live as authentically as you possibly can. The real you coming out, the real you being honest, the real you, as Daniel was hinting at just now, being vulnerable about the pain that you've experienced, the real you telling right. your story in a way that has never been told before to outside of your own mind and your own heart. And there in that retelling is where we get healed. And there is where we experience the bravery. Years ago, my son and I, my, who's 14 now, I think he must have been seven or so, were shopping in Portland. And we went into a computer store and the person behind the counter helping us was uh, uh, transgender. And, and, and I'm watching my son watch the person help us. And we get into the car and, I'm, and, I, and I think and I said to him, what do you think of the person who was helping us today? And he was silent for a long time. And what he said uh, surprised me and still echoes with me seven years later. And I think of it often. And he said, I think that person is really, really brave. And, and I thought about that through, number one, his eyes. Like, how is a seven-year-old little boy in Portland, Oregon, in yeah. seeing yeah. the world? And yeah. then I think about it as an adult, as I'm, I'm, am I brave enough to really live authentically like that person was? Yeah. And that at great is, cost. Yeah. At great cost. At great cost. Um, yeah. You saying that gives me goosebumps because I don't know. I'm, I'm so privileged that, that I just have no clue. I do not know the cost of it. Yeah. And, uh, but I, but I, I think about that often is the bravery that's required to live authentically and thank yeah. God for our LGBTQ community who is doing that and has the finally uh, a more mainline, I should say, voice supporting that journey, supporting that identity, those, those identities and really leading out an example for us all to live more authentically and mm-hmm. more bravely of who we really are. And I yeah. know that, your uh, art and your messaging has really helped, I think, bridge the gap between not, not just that community, but the community of people who have been raised in the church, raised in our specific spiritual world and go, I can, I can say that love, we'll call him God, God, or love exists, this thing that is true, it creates something in me, it, it bridges a gap between me and others. It uh, creates connection and my, my sexual orientation or however we want to describe that. I can be both of those things because the message before was you can't have both of these things. You can have one or the other. And if you go to one side, you're going to die the eternal death. You're not only getting kicked out of this, but you're going to die forever. And I, and I think that's what makes your work not only provocative, but really, really healing and really safe is that uh, I'm thinking often of your, your series of Jesus holding the, the sheep that's yeah. the rainbow sheep and the transgender sheep and all of those different things. Yeah. And I think, isn't that the one, isn't yeah. that the one always, always. Yeah. I hope so. I hope so. I hope yeah. it is helpful. Bridges a gap. It's helpful for yeah. me as a, as a dad and as a person who speaks to the public. So I, I really appreciate that. Well, it's helpful to, to me too, because the way I, I and I know we're, we're out, we're out of here in a minute or so, but just uh, I, when I, when I see like your art, I, I see it as something, particularly the, the sheep one, you know, and when you have very little color in, in the entire uh, 
panel, but then you'll have that, you know, that's mm. like a really bold choice, you know, and you're making that very clear. Um, and mm -hmm. I not only read that as your message to other people, um, but I also read that as, and, and primarily, right? But I also read it as the message to that part of me, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, I, I think we can all read things like that, you know, instead of looking at like, I'm this and another person is this, then yes. like, we all have this like aspects of ourselves, of the world in us. And That's right. That's right. Uh, that's yeah. good. That's really beautiful. Good. That's yep. great. Well, David Hayward, really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, if you want to find David, you can find him on Instagram. Uh, that's where I've been following for a long time at, uh, at naked pastor, the naked pastor. And is the title of your blog, the same, the naked pastor. Nakedpastor.com. Yep. Nakedpastor.com. That's awesome. Thank you so much, David. Yep. Really appreciate you. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me on guys. Okay. Good to be here. Take care. Take care See you sir. later. See ya. Bye everybody. Bye-bye. Welcome to the Field Dressing, today's episode, episode 26, with David Hayward, the Naked Pastor, um, a champion of the deconstructed, and I'd say especially in the LGBTQ and underrepresented folks of the earth, uh, cartoonist, author, general, amazing man. Is that the first person that we have interviewed that neither of us had ever met or spoken to? Could be. That's funny. I thought you did speak with him beforehand. I didn't speak to him. It was all, it was all email. All email. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. Yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah. And we didn't have, you know, didn't have a, like our little pre-conversation that just to get to know each other off, you know? Yeah. Like, and we didn't do that and didn't know him. And I thought that was pretty amazing to um, experience. Uh, you know, we had a nice discussion and uh, I didn't really know what to think about about who he was going to be, and no idea. And he's also pretty high profile compared to who we, you know, in general, who we've talked to so far. And you know that I feel like that discussion could have gone, you know, maybe very flat. But he seems like a pretty special person, and oh, extremely I really special. Liked, I liked everything he was saying, to be honest. I I think he um, for the community that he and I grew up in and it was a part of and him, especially because he was a pastor, a vocational pastor for 30 years, which has a, a tremendous amount of pressure to it, uh, to say the right thing, to do the right thing, to be the right thing. Uh, because you have, you're under constant, um, constant ridicule on some level. Uh, it's really interesting because you're required to be both a leader and an employee of a giant group of people. And, and it's, uh, it's the tension that, in, that a pastor's experience around that is so difficult, is really, really, really difficult. And I think the things that he was experiencing in his um, theological deconstruction are not unique to him or, or me. Like, I think every real thoughtful church leader feels that actually, actually feels those things. And, and some are brave enough. And I, this is what I want to say about him. I, I think him saying, I know a little bit about what it comes uh, knows the feeling of the pain. Well, I think our nervous systems don't know the difference of the feeling of rejection, right? Like, like my feeling of rejection, your feeling of rejection, but there is safety. There is actual safe safety situations. And, and for some reason, Christians 
or I don't even know what they're calling, but people who insist on orthodoxy or insist on dogma, like he, like you were saying at the be- asking at the beginning, do you ever fear for yourself? And he's like, yeah, you know, sometimes I do get a really scary one. And sometimes I'll post some of that stuff. And that's a strange, yeah. like that's a really strange thing to me that we, us Christians, um, and I'll, I'll just go ahead and call myself that still, serve a, a God who was, was obviously nonviolent, died. And, and in the one instance of violence in the story of Jesus, he's like, no, 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 we're not doing this. We're not playing this game. Um, uh, it, where, where Christians insist that violence is somehow uh, a part of the way we should live. And I, and I like, I'm like, are we talking about the same thing? Have we read the same book? Like, have we, yeah. What the fuck's going on? <laughs> I was, I was shocked when he said, yeah, he was like, yeah, I, I uh, experience one of those every once in a while, every week or two. I was like, fuck man, that's 30, 40 times a year, you know? That's legit. Uh, yeah. At, yeah. He's very brave. And speaking to what you're talking about, you know, I, I think that it's very scary what people are, 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 are exposing to the world and and there's attacks on a lot of people right now in a lot of different like if you different different demographics you know oh, and yeah. sometimes multiple demographic you hold multiple like I- identities that are you know attacked right now and yeah it's fucked up man it's really fucked up and i think that it's terrible that people are violent to other people because they're living their life in a way that, that yeah. one person doesn't agree it's like very problematic it makes me sad and it makes me mad and i have you know aspects i've experienced mental illness and i'm experiencing other things in life that i'm starting to realize that you know people could attack and and i'm also around a lot more people these days who are being attacked you Mm -hmm. know and are their identities are known and they're like maybe you know pretty extreme when it comes to things that are being attacked right now they're they're highly uh attacked they're highly um judged right and it's just how 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 messed up is that like you you're born on this world and it's already hard enough you know we're all eating these shit sandwiches out here you Mm -hmm. know and then you you have to deal with people like wanting to actually attack you and hurt you not only emotionally, verbally, but li- literally physically. Yeah. It's just like, are you kidding me? Like I, it really upsets me. And when someone like him starts doing what he's doing when he doesn't need to, yeah, uh, that's hero. That's brave. That's courage. Yeah. And that's, it's an honor to be in front of him and see what he's doing. And now he goes off. He just had a podcast. You and I go off and, eat dinner and stuff and he does the same thing but he also you know writes another cartoon that people out there would you know gonna would want to kill him for you know or threaten him for yeah it's just like that guy's amazing yeah it's true that's totally true what were your thoughts on on uh his sophia um uh drawings and and his in identifying with that the feminine part of himself well, to be honest, I didn't really understand that. I don't know if I zoned out for a second or um uh but I don't understand the Sophia thing. He 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 has a character that he I totally understand your question regarding the, yeah. the feminine aspect of himself and I have I have her aspect of himself and I definitely have things to say about that, but I didn't actually understand what the character was and yeah. what the motif was. Yeah, yeah. Well um 
go check it out after we're done with this. But he's got a series of this of this young woman. Um, she's sometimes a girl. She's sometimes a young woman, and she's yeah. naked all the time. Uh, Morgan and I have some of uh, we've we've bought a couple little things here and there from him, and uh, uh, and it's I don't want to call it erotic, but it but because it's naked, there is definitely a sexual part of it, yeah. you know, um, and. And so the series is sometimes with some, with a part of it that's also there's like an element of danger, an element of violence, or an element of of, of vulnerability. So him talking about the bear. So it's just a series. And what, what, what interested me about it was that he he basically created this character, right? It, it came out of his mind, and and the interesting thing to me was that he's like, that's not someone else, that's not something else, that's actually me. This vulnerable girl, this woman emancipating herself, this woman is me. That's what I'm curious about. What were you thinking about that? I mean, you know, I, I, I you know that that's a huge uh, alignment in the way he thinks and creates uh, yeah. compared to what, what I do. I mean, that that way, that lens of looking at oneself um, that we have an inner feminine, you yeah. know, that we would have inner animal, that we would have inner <clears throat> deity, that we would have inner uh, male. You know, I'm just like rattling off potential yeah. archetypes or aspects of the mind. You know, it's it's all metaphor. Like mm-hmm. inner feminine to me, and what's becoming clear lately is even that is just a metaphor. I don't mm-hmm. actually have an inner woman in me. Mm-hmm. Um, I have qualities that are. Um, that we ascribe to fe- like the feminine and yeah. I've read enough, like this is what feminine means. And that's what feminine means in different cultures and different religions and different lenses. Yeah. And they're all over the board. It's like right, right. what feminine means, you know, yeah. and it's yeah. very personal and, yeah. you know, and I don't mean to be too put to like find a point or yeah. be too like forward with, I don't actually have an inner woman. I actually think in, in a sense that I do, but, but I don't really, and right. it's all a lens and a way to look at ourselves, right? And the idea of having an inner part of yourself that's opposite sex or that is other gender than your physical body—that um, is like, you know, uh, it's kind of. I think it's a really nuanced, and um, I'm trying not to use the word mature because mm. you know that feels like arrogant, but I do <laughs> think it's it's a it's a really good thing to do for people and yeah. if you can accept that you have softer qualities and, and i'm not ascribing those to feminine but like if you're really hard and you accept softer qualities if you're really generally softer and you accept and embrace and discover harder qualities in yourself and those mm-hmm. are terrible and soft and hard but you get the point yeah um then you can accept them in the world you know and yeah. in other people like it all starts with you and i just think that's very practical i don't feel like that would be threatening to anybody's religion mm-hmm. or anything or anyone's sexuality or gender you know i just love when particularly men um in body <clears throat> and very masculine men in you know in mind and and body speak in terms of having an inner feminine mm-hmm. it's like the first step toward um, becoming a little like a little or a lot more you know complete and whole and oneself and I just it's a huge value of mine and the fact that he can speak to that and he's speaking a similar language that I'm a little bit familiar with which is Jungian and saying the anima 
Like that was awesome. I didn't know that he was doing that. That's next level. What did you think? Yeah. Well, what was coming to my mind actually was just last night I had a dream um, where, where um, the main character of my dream was a woman and and in the dream, she angered me and it, it, it bothered me so much that I woke up. And have you ever had a dream where you've like had a conflict in a dream that like wakes you up? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It woke me up. Attacked last by night. a shark and wake, wake up right when you're dying. <laughs> That's funny. I've had that dream too. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's super interesting. <laughs> you know what? I get, I'll, get, I'll get like hunted by this is a few years ago. I got yeah. hunted. I had a recurring dream by gangsters and they'd be oh. shooting me and I got shot a lot in my dreams and I would wake up Ron, if I got shot like in the leg or in the abdomen and that body part of my body as I was waking up would be spasming no way from where the bullet entered like <laughs> uh okay remind so me, anybody to tell you about... to listen to me yeah and like uh, be careful because I'm pretty fucked up <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me let me tell you two funny dreams. Well, what, let me finish this one. I, oh, so I yeah. woke up, we can rip on like angry about, about this person who's a real person, and and then I realized, like, wait a second, like this is my dream. This is like this isn't real. And, yeah. and but as David was talking, I was like, oh, that's me. Like I'm actually angry at a part of myself, and I'm actually fearful of a part of myself that is like, you know, lurking around my subconscious and wants to come to the to the surface i think that looking at one's dreams as parts of yourself interacting with other parts is a very useful way to look at dreams i'm not saying it's what dreams are or, right. or maybe it's not the only thing that dreams are but yeah that that lens it, it it'll it'll cure that part of yourself that goes god that was a fucking weird dream and just brushing it off instead it, it can be very insight insightful <sighs> Well, it, when I was getting my theology degree, um, I was living in a dorm in my in my college, and I had this dream one time where I was riding on the whale on the back of a killer whale with uh, Madonna, the artist. Damn. You know the you know the um, with Madonna with Madonna. It gets better, and we were Damn. we were making love to each other on the back of a killer whale oh. swimming. <laughs> and as, as you know, the climax is about to happen. The dream turns into a nightmare because I realize I don't have a condom on and I don't want to get Madonna pregnant. And, and it's too late. It's too wow. late. <laughs> the climax is happening <laughs> only for me to wake up and I'm having an honest to God wet dream. <laughs> For you, I'm so sorry you had that that horrible dream. And I'm not like, listen, I just watched the old music video with Madonna. Like, what a powerful and incredible human. I mean, that was like, I mean, my brain was stuck in like archetype land, right? Like the killer whale, the ocean sex, and Madonna, right? Like it was, it's still one of my favorite dreams I've ever had in my whole life. Well, what, you know, like, <laughs> indulge me. How would you yeah. look at that dream uh, for potential meaning uh, or a reflection of who you are? Okay, uh, I'm glad you're bringing this up. Um, one, I mean, Madonna, I mean, she chose the name, you know, it's religious, right? It's, it's like, it's divine, um, right? There's this, like, real religious, like, undertone, like, not undertones, overtones broad strokes of it and 
And so I think there's a part of me that is like, there is a religious quality or element to that. And I don't exactly know what it is, but it's definitely a part of who I am and how I've been uh, raised and grown up and all those things. Um, The other part that uh, really resonated with me is that it's like, it's sex, right? Like it's just this natural, crazy part. You still there? Yeah. Okay, good. Sorry. Uh, I mean, there's the sex, like it's the most basic human drive, right? Like beyond hunger, I guess, uh, or sleep. And it's the reason there's this giant population on earth. And, and when you're young in your early twenties, like your hormones are just like, you know, like I need to reproduce. And so it's interesting that there was this like drive to reproduce with the divine and, um, and then for some reason, I, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a marine biologist and killer whales were definitely a part of that fantasy for me. And I've always had a, and I think it's probably because I grew up in the desert. I've always had this like real fantasy and love and mythology around the ocean. And, and it just all kind of connected. And, and I also think that the ocean kind of represents like the unknown part of my subconsciousness, like this like yeah. bigger thing going on. And, and it's funny, like, I don't, only in retelling it, did I remember the panic of not having a condom on, but for the last bunch of years, like, I I don't, I don't have any fear or like anxiety attached to that dream. It's all like, I remember it with joy. Like, like what a gift I gave myself (laughs) that dream. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, goes without saying, right. I'm so tempted to like psychoanalyze that dream with you, but uh, <laughs> you know the, the risk of uh, you know um, being too personal. But um, no, dude, I think it all yeah, belongs. I, like it's like it was awesome. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. There's not a lot. But that's a pretty beautiful, like. Uh, Marriage just will be essence, but I and not, and I'm not going into detail, but like I just think that it basic, you know, when you have a a being that's a very powerful in an ocean, that's part of your psyche, you know, and it's probably yeah. a relatively dangerous, deep, deep, unknown part. And then for you to be like writing it, you're not being attacked by it, you know. Yeah. Um, I've had a lot of dreams about being hunted and attacked and killed by things in water, you know, and you're, yeah. you're writing, you know, and then to be doing something on top of that, that is harmonious, you know, you're not being kicked off. It's just, there's a, you, you know, that line of thinking, yeah. right? It's yeah. just a, a, an amazing dream. You're right. What a gift you gave yourself. <laughs> what a gift you are, you know? Uh, yeah. The interesting thing is I, I don't remember a ton of dreams in my whole life, but there was a period of, like, I have like sections of my life. There are these brief yeah. moments for weeks or maybe a month where I have a lot of intense dreams. And I remember another dream from about that time of my life, which is I was swimming in the ocean and I see this tiny dark gray dot underneath me, like in the blackest part of the ocean, I could like see underwater and it rushed up from the bottom of the water and hit me. And it was a great white shark and like, you know, woke me up just like, whoa, like it was super, super, um, uh, visceral, man. Like I was like sweating when I woke up, it was. Uh, one of those moments where I was like, and I'm, and, and, and I think tying it back to talking to David today, 
all those things happened when I was in the heights of like really trying to decide, like, do I want to go into this ministry thing? Do I want to go into this vocational church work? And I was definitely torn. I was definitely torn. I was like not enjoying myself. I was doing it because I felt like I had to. I was um, not showing up for job interviews at churches. Um, you know, I was like avoiding church leaders that were wanting to talk to me about work. Uh, it was, yeah. you know, there. I think that was probably, if we're going to psychoanalyze that, like the part of me that like knew the truth of like, hey, you got to get the hell out of here. And I'm avoiding it. And I keep pushing it down, keep pushing it down, keep pushing it down. Cool. And finally, it's like, hey, asshole, like get pay attention. Yeah. You know, which I yeah. didn't for a long time. <laughs> I, love I love I love it, man. And you know, I think it's fair to just look at these at, at analyzing dreams too as just your rorsharking images that your own mind is throwing up. And so yeah. you know, you can ascribe meaning to a dream and you'll probably conf- I I've seen people confront parts of themselves that where they're like, Well, I don't know what it means, you know. And that's kind of like saying, I don't know what's on the Rorschach blot, you know, it's like in my opinion, be kind of missing the point here. Like yeah. you now get to consciously ascribe meaning to a subconscious, um, you know, s- spread of images and, um, you know, or they might be words or circumstances. And I just think that that's an important part. It's like your conscious subconscious just did the work. Now go meet it and make something meaningful out of it. Yeah. And you won't be wrong, you know, just yeah. make a decision of what something means and you get to move forward with that. Uh, it's a really nice, I've never articulated that related it that way, but that is how I feel about mm. dreams personally. Mm-hmm. You know, your subconscious did half work. Now, if you want, you know, you do it and, and you can maybe see what's going on in yourself and learn a little bit. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah it's the same thing with art. Right. You know, absolutely. You know, you throw things up conscious, you know, that's like another, anyways, that's another discussion, but to answer your question, I guess, clearly more clearly about David, in his work, you know, the fact that he speaks in union terms and archetypal terms, and he's putting that in his art. That's what I intended to do last year when I did a big push in art. And I found it difficult, you know, mm. and he found his groove and he found how to express it and express it quickly and rep it out and have that be helpful to people outside of himself and stand for something. Mm-hmm. Fuck, man, that's as good as it gets. You know, I think that's uh, what's interesting about that, though, is that, um, it sounded like at first he wasn't trying to do that. Like he didn't realize, you know what I mean? Like he just, he, he was just dreaming about, it. he's like, oh, I'm going to do this. And then it, it dawned on him later. Like, Oh, Oh, okay. And just like you said, like, I'm going to own this. I'm going to own this part of me in a way that uh, is actually helpful to me. You know, a piece of writing that I submitted to, to the writer's group with you uh, about um yeah. Uh, the molestation that my dad experienced and my fictionalized version of that. Um, you know, you had, you had like asked me if I yeah. had, had been intentional really with some, idea. thank you. Uh, you'd asked me if I'd been intentional about some um, imagery in that. And, and, uh, and in particular, uh, I guess, I, I guess it doesn't matter to include the details, but I, I didn't, I wasn't intentional about it. It just seemed like, it just seemed like what would happen. You're talking about the scum running down the leg. No, I was talking about, uh, you talked about, um, the cleaning of the driveway with the hose, the water hose and, and the hose being kind of a symbol for something else going, you know, about to happen. 
That's and, I, and that was it. And, but yet maybe, maybe somewhere in the back of my mind, my brain was like subconsciously doing it. I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm going to take that it. That is an awesome. I'm so glad you brought that up because that I've read a, a, a lot of books, you know, I mean, most of us have and experienced a lot of art. And I've also written a lot and written from a very intentional, like hyper-focused way. And then in a very free way. And that little bit of writing that you did and that scene is some of the best writing I've ever read. Um, and I don't mean that hyperbolic. Like, I really, that is true, man. Mm. And it's because of your answer when I asked you if you did that intentionally. Um, I guess if you had done it intentionally, you definitely did it really well. Um, but the fact that you didn't do it intentionally for some reason, just made it that much more pure and authentic because it, you know, and for people who don't know what we're talking about, he's basically talking about a, a rape that's about to happen. And this guy who's about to do the rape, this older man is like washing his, he's cleaning up his shop. And, you know, just, there's all of this, like not over the head imagery or you're not knocking us over the head with it. And one of the reasons is because you weren't trying to do it. And, but I just, Ron, you nailed that scene. I hope that gets it hit all the spots for me. Yeah. I, I think it, it, it was, you know, it wasn't intentional, like I've said, but I think that what's why I bring that up is because yeah, I think the, uh, the trusting our gut in, in art and life and, and just what's coming out of us when we like receive the animus, when we receive the anima, and let it talk to us and let it come out like that's that's doing the heavy lifting and we don't have to like yes. understand it we don't have to um uh interpret it we can just allow it to happen and at the end of it then like the symbols can appear I, it used to bother me when somebody would take a, a great piece of literature and say oh there's meaning to this and meaning to that i think what steinbeck meant by this uh thing was the, the x y and z and I'm like, I don't think any of that, that shit was happening while they were thinking about this, but totally agree. But it makes sense yeah. now, like, right? Like now it, it can be a symbol of something. Well, and all the person needs to do is change the way they're saying that. Steinbeck meant this, Steinbeck meant that. All you need to say is to this, to me, this means this. Right. To me, this means that. And then it validates your experience. You don't have to wonder and question. Yeah. And then what it, what Steinbeck did, intended, that's what it meant to him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've created art in writing and in um, uh, in um, painting, and, and that that people have totally honest um, uh, meet. They've ascribed very honest, authentic me meaning to it that I did not intend. Yeah, and there and I've actually I value leaving um, vague, vagueness and um, leaving ambiguity and leaving in in visual art literally shapes that you can't quite tell what they are so that person can have an even more open window and see what they want to see. And it's exciting and it's meaningful, but you can also do what Dave does, right? And to your point, Ron, I completely agree. Well, you were saying, yeah, he just started by doing it. And that guy, Ross Pino, did the same thing. He just wanted to draw a little bit with his daughter because he was stressed out. And then that turned into a therapeutic thing for himself and with his daughter. And then that turned into that then on top of something really honest and authentic that just came from us wanting to be like balanced and healthy, 
then his mind starts to work appropriately on it and turn it into a product. And, you know, and, and then it becomes something that is, that is now part of his life and sustains him. It's the same thing that my, is my intention with this podcast. You know? mm. It's like with you, I want to just do this for joy and experience something with people that is special and meaningful and fun and therapeutic for all of us. Yeah. And then as time goes on, it'll, it'll work out, you know, it'll work out. We'll work out how it might, you know, be profitable or be marketable and all that stuff. It's like, you know, that's the stuff that comes from the blossom of this intention of just being healthy for us. What do you feel about that? I mean, the profit is me growing, listening to David and listening to our other guests and, and, you know, and, and also, and I'd say maybe even more importantly, having someone like you, having you in particular that I can discuss this stuff with, like, it's like, it's, it's been as effective and as strong as any, any other tool that I've ever had in my life at understanding where I am in my journey, looking around me, interpreting the data, deciding on the next right step and committing to it. And, and for me, that's like, uh, I want to keep I want to keep producing episodes because that is like I, I will in this episode I'll we'll stop this recording and we'll have like just a little bit tight you know like tighten down my my intentionality and my calling if you will or my where I want to be and who I want to be and how I want to be. Yeah, yeah, and the, the, in my opinion, though, like uh, there's been famous podcasters who have talked about podcasting as an art form. And I totally see that. It's certainly creative. You know, you can yeah. apply creativity, creativity to pretty much anything. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, when he's doing what he's doing and then he gets to do what he's doing or share what he's doing through what we're doing, it's just like creativity piled on creativity. And it's just such a great way to spend time. You know, yeah. yesterday when I had that conversation with Ross, we didn't want to get off the phone. You know, we didn't want to get off the Zoom. <laughs> I'd never met this guy in my life. You brought his name up. He, you know, he did a, uh, we were going to have a pre-conversation with three of us. It got canceled last second. And, you know, I was following up and we were thinking, ah, this person probably doesn't even want to do it. Couldn't have been further from the truth. You know, oh, it was just busy. Awesome. Next yeah. thing you know, we're talking. It's like, at the end, it's just like, man, I appreciate, like, thank you for being you. And I mm. never would have known you. And now I do. And that's the yeah. beauty of Instagram and social media. And people yeah. give it, it's like, it's like, of course it can be rotten, but man, there's such a gift these days of being able to reach out to people and just support their work and yeah. ask it like, Hey, can we have a connection? You know, whether it's yeah. me buying your product, whether it's me uh, asking you a question, you know, I, I just, you know, people like be bold. If you have someone you admire, reach out to them. Like yeah. I'm a dancer. I partner dance. And a few months ago I was like, surfing youtube and found this famous incredible solo jazz dancer in russia he's fucking amazing and i was like wow he's so great blah 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 and then i just thought wait a minute i can find him on facebook yeah you know? and i yeah. did yeah asked him a couple of asked him if i could ask him a question and then we had a whole chat you know i was Dude, just like awesome. the world is amazing now. i know it's totally amazing <laughs> i think exactly the same thing right now it's like it's so super rad i mean that you know i got to uh, I told you this in person. I'm not sure if I've said it on here, but I, I, I listened to Stephen Pressfield's interview with Tim Ferriss the other day. And Stephen is, yeah. he's been a hero of mine for a long time because his books uh, do the work in the war of art and his encouragement back to me after I asked him a couple questions, I was like, 
when in history do you get to do this kind of thing where where you you have access to wisdom of other people's experiences and access to them on some level yeah badass it's super yeah badass. you I, i'm glad you brought that up because uh you um you have like kind of a next level ability to uh to do that and have success and um mm-hmm. i'm glad you do that i've been wanting to kind of put myself out there more and reach out to people that are maybe a little higher profile not as an ego thing but just because why not and you you like didn't you write a comment to josh josh brolin or something and he liked it or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty cool, man. It's just like whatever. That's just cool, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, man, this has been um, a great gift, dude. Every time we do one of these, it's like another amazing gift, and I'm glad that we've had to, we've gotten to do two episodes this week together. Uh, looking forward to the ones coming up that we've got planned on this next week. Excellent. Feel the same way, brother. Love you, man. All right. Love you. See you, babe. Bye-bye.